This is a Soulfire production. Welcome to my channel. I'm your host, Christina. I'm an intuitive channel, 7D healer, business mentor, and manifestation expert. On this podcast, we discuss how to tap into your intuitive gifts, manifest the life you want, create a kick-ass business in flow, and take a holistic approach to health and wellness. Don't forget to connect with me on Instagram at ChristinaTheChannel and on my website, ChristinaTheChannel.com. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, a highly anticipated guest. I have been so excited for this. Today, I am interviewing my boyfriend, Parker Cohn. Parker does so many amazing things for this world, and I have really been wanting to have him on the show to share more about what he does and how we can support the environment. You know, I've talked a lot about the environment, the earth in different ways on the podcast and especially recently from my own perspective. But when we're really getting to the 3D environmental issues, this is much more his realm. And I I really wanted him to you know, share more about what's going on on the planet, what's happening with the topsoil, with our food supply, with water, with the drought right now in the Southwest. I know that there are so many different issues that are rising to the surface. And this is one of many that I really think uh, we should all be paying attention to as it affects literally everybody who's living on the planet. So to give you some more context, Parker is a soil management expert. He he got into this because he's so passionate about water and saving water, which we talk more about in the episode. But he works with farms and golf courses to regenerate their soil, which has huge implications for global environmental conservation. You know, when I first started dating him and I was learning about his passion for water conservation and saving the planet, <laughs> I was like, why, why do you focus on golf courses? And I didn't realize that if you look at, you know, who's using the most water and where we can save the most golf courses are like the main place to look and then farms. So those are the, those are the two, you know, places he focuses on golf courses and farms. And I know there's a lot of discussion from the regenerative agriculture side, which he is, is really into, but you know, it was cool for me because coming from the nutrition space and the health space and and hearing all about a lot of these regenerative agriculture efforts and awareness around that and kind of like my world and then meeting him and learning about his perspective and his experience, I just have learned so much. And I think what blew my mind the most was, you know, for a few years, a lot of the conferences I go to for Um, staying up to date on my certifications and just things in the health space, there's always a ton on environmental concerns and regenerative ag and, you know, global warming and kind of what's happening with the topsoil. And a lot of it is really from the lens of the lens of concern about our food supply and our water supply. And so I had been hearing about that for a while. Obviously, I'm not 
an authority on that in any way, but just learning about that and being very aware of it and kind of feeling like, you know, how come so much of the world is not aware of this? I mean, I know why, you know, but anyway, we need to spread the word. (laughs) But a lot of what I was hearing at the time was kind of like, these are all the problems. And I always felt like what I was learning at that time was a lot of here are the problems, but I was left with, well, what are the solutions? Okay. Like I know this, but what are we doing? And I, I had seen a lot of things and read a lot of books that were kind of just leaving it open-ended. Like we don't have a solution and we just need to raise awareness. And when I met Parker, I was like, holy shit. Like you literally have a solution. I'm, I'm confused. His, his work is truly incredible. Like I get to see, I guess more firsthand than most people how he regenerates the soil and he can like take any area. I mean, I've seen the wildest things and he will take like any area of totally dead grass land and um, implement his system. And it basically, it's kind of like, you know, rebuilding your gut microbiome, but for the soil. And he does that and it completely changes the texture, the health of the soil. The grass is so much greener and it's thicker and uh, just the quality is so much better. I mean, I've tasted food from uh, farms that implement his system versus not like they'll do controls and then using Parker's system and it tastes completely different, right? And we're talking about, you know, no need for any pesticides or anything, right? All natural, actually nutrient dense foods that taste better. It increases the quality and quantity of crop yields. I see the amount of water that saved. It's just a stark difference in like areas where people have just kind of given up on the, on the land completely different. Or even like some of these golf courses. I mean, it just blows my mind. He, he used his system on our, (laughs) I think we talked about this in the episode on our front yard. And there's a before and after on his Instagram. It, it's like a, a wild difference. Everybody now in our neighborhood is is asking for for the deets because it's pretty incredible. And then you think about the global implications. Not only are all of these resources <sighs> saved, we're using way less, um, not needing toxic chemicals when you actually regenerate the soil, but it increases carbon cycling, which I know is a huge conversation right now. So yeah, I mean, I think what's wild to me is that as I've learned more about these different industries he works in, there are a lot of people who are super old school and I, you know, there are a lot of people who are looking for solutions, but I also feel like there are just a lot of people who don't want to look for solutions and are still very, um, I don't know, you know, big ag, big pharma, that, that whole deal, follow the money and not as concerned about the environment, even though I don't really understand that because it's affecting everybody, but, uh, you know, we talk a little bit more about that as well. Some people are just afraid to try something different, but you know, this is the future. And when I've talked about people right now, just like downloading inventions and information that are going to really powerfully, beautifully, incredibly shift our world in a positive direction. I, I always think about Parker because he's one of those people that I see, you know, he's like such an inventor and he's such an inventor and he comes up with these ideas and I see his work in the world for the environment. And I'm like, literally like you, you came here at this time on the planet because we needed you, we needed this. And I am really proud of him and all the work he does. He works really hard and it's truly incredible. 
um, what he does. And I've been encouraging him to share more about it. So that's kind of what pushed him to uh, come on the podcast. But what I'll also say is if you find this information helpful, interesting, please share it. Please send it to anybody that you think would benefit from it. We really want to spread the word about what's going on. And also if anybody listening um, you know, knows anybody who has a connection to a golf course, who has a connection to any farm, and they're looking to uh, regenerate the soil, reduce water use, energy use, chemicals, labor, while having better quality and quantity of crop yields and helping to increase carbon cycling. If you have, you know, any people in your life who, um, you know, might want to hear about Parker's work, his perspective, then definitely reach out to him because I know these are conversations he wants to have. Uh, he wants to connect with people who have that same mission as him. He's so, so mission driven and just, I mean, truly at his core, just like wants to save the planet, like wants to save the earth, wants to protect the earth. He's so passionate and you can help by, by spreading the word. So I'm going to put that out there as well. Parker's business is called Performance Resource Management. So his website is performanceresourcemanagement.com. And his Instagram is at PRM Soil Health. And that will be in the show notes. So those are great places uh, to learn a little bit more from him and to reach out if it resonates. I also want to add that in this podcast, we talk a bit about Trevor's Trek Foundation. Parker is an active board member of the foundation and its purpose is to enforce Trevor's law passed in 2016 to identify childhood cancer clusters and remediate the environmental toxins that cause them. So we talk a bit about that in this episode. I know he has so much to say about that. We probably could have done a whole episode on that and perhaps he'll come back and and share more in the future. But if you do know anyone who was affected by childhood cancer, you can help the foundation by filling out or sharing their community impact form. If you go to treverstrek.org, that's spelled T-R-E-V-O-R-S-T-R-E-K.org. It helps a lot with their data collection because they take the information and see any connections between certain locations, cancer cases, and environmental toxins, what's around, water supply, and all the information, you know, goes a long way in helping to prevent the root cause of cancer for for other people. So again, that community impact form is at treverstrek.org. And I know they would greatly appreciate, um, you know, if you have any information to share in there, if you filled that out. So those were a few extra, extra things I just wanted to mention before we jump into the episode. I'll have to have Parker back to talk about some other things, you know, but in this episode, we talk about cancer clusters. We talk about environmental toxins that can lead to different illnesses. We discuss the drought. We discuss uh, topsoil and carbon cycling and agriculture and really what is going on in the environment, some helpful resources to learn more and solutions. All right. So I'm super excited for you to hear this episode. Enjoy my conversation with Parker Cohn. Can you imagine if one tincture could heal your body, put you back into balance and completely change your life? 
This is how I feel about Ned. I have been using Ned full spectrum hemp oil for years, and this is truly magic in a bottle. I know there are a lot of CBD companies out there on the market. And let me tell you, Ned is real deal. This is the highest quality stuff and you feel the difference. Products are made from organic, whole, natural ingredients. All products are small batch and slow crafted. Their process is impeccable. They only extract from hemp flowers. They use a very gentle, slow ethanol-based extraction method because high heat and high pressure can compromise the profile of the hemp flower. There are no isolates or synthetic ingredients. A lot of CBD companies use CBD isolates, which are stripped of all of the other phytocannabinoids that complement the CBD. And you want that full range so that you get the benefits of the entourage effect. This is where you get the true healing powers of hemp and it's working to support your endocannabinoid system, which not many things actually help to balance that out. And it's really the balancing system of your whole body. When I started using this a few years ago, I could never sleep through the night. I always woke up multiple times. I had such bad inflammation, my fingers and legs. My whole body felt swollen all the time. I had a lot of chronic pain and aches from my autoimmune diseases and I had a ton of anxiety. And uh, after using Ned regularly, all of that balanced out. I also started using their natural cycle collection, which is meant to balance female hormones. And this was a huge factor in me getting my period back after it had been missing for about four years. And then when I got it back, it was like immediately regular. I didn't have any PMS. It was on schedule and I thought I was going to have a long period of things rebalancing out my whole life. I, I never had a regular period um, before I had lost it. To say this has changed my life would be an understatement. And we are big, big fans of Ned in this house. My partner uses this as well. It's been huge for helping him get off some of his medications after a traumatic brain injury. So it's been huge. I have people close to me who were struggling with cancer. And this was a huge part of their healing protocol. So there's so many incredible testimonials and I really, really believe in this and quality is, is everything. You know, I've seen people who have had insomnia for years, finally start sleeping regularly after they start using Ned. I just can't recommend it enough. If you want to try out their full spectrum hemp oil or any of their other products, we love their mellow. It's an amazing magnesium product. I am obsessed with Ned sleep. It is literally the best thing to happen to the sleep world like ever. It is, I don't even have words. If you don't have Ned sleep, you're severely missing out. <laughs> Let me tell you, like it will change your life. And I love their body products. They use theirs as well. So everything, everything I've gotten from them has been a winner and I've consistently used all of their products since they've come out. For the tinctures, you just put a dropper's worth under your tongue, hold it there for about a minute and uh, swallow and you are good to go. So go ahead and check out all of their options at helloned.com. And if you use my code Christina, you will get 15% off your first purchase or 20% off a subscription. Again, that code is Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. And that will get you 15% off your first purchase or 20% off your subscription. And trust me, once you go Ned, you will not go back. Welcome Parker to the podcast. Are you excited to be here? Excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what made you convinced to finally come on my show? Your persistence. My persistence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it just finally pushed you past the edge. Combined with external pressures. Okay. Yeah, true. Well, I'm certainly excited to have you here and we have a lot to talk about. But today I want to focus on what you do, environmental issues, 
that realm. And maybe in the future, we can convince you to talk about our relationship. (laughs) So before we get into it, I have a few uh, questions that I want to ask you so that the listeners can get to know you. You down? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Dive in. My first question is, how do you like to start your day? What is your morning routine? So morning routine, I typically get up first thing, go for coffee. Um, after coffee, I either work out or do physical therapy first thing, um, if I can. And then after that, I, that's, that's how I get each day started. (laughs) Essentially, There we go. Very simple. And I can vouch that that's the truth. (laughs) My morning routine is a little bit more involved than yours. Yeah. Mine's pretty simple. Straight, straight for the coffee and then, um, straight, straight. For the gym, I guess. All right, there we go. So next up is what is a product? It could be food, it could be book, it could be skincare that you're really into right now. What do you want to give a shout out to? <laughs> what do I want to give a shout out to? Um, well, maybe a shout out to King Coffee because oh. you're you're. <laughs> You're definitely pushing it hard. I've got I've got my coffee system down. I do like Chemex pour over with burr grinder, fresh beans set up, mm-hmm. and your persistence to convert me from that to King Coffee is quite remarkable. Do you like the taste of King Coffee? Yeah, it's pretty good. It it's it's I used to <laughs> I used to take a uh, French press with me when I was traveling. And really? yeah, like oh I took French press and pre-ground coffee and would make it in the hotels. But now I just take a few packets of King Coffee All and the it, King coffee. it does make my life easier. Good thing I have months, months of backups <laughs> of like, <laughs> like three cupboards of King Coffee. Like COVID backup yeah. in case there's... <laughs> well, you know, it's funny for anybody listening because a lot of people listening have been listening since the beginning of the show. and. People probably know I went through my big phase of no coffee and Parker and I on our first date, he took me to a coffee shop (laughs) and that was like my first cup of coffee in like probably a year and a half. I remember and I had the jitters the whole time. And then after that, like when we started dating, we we would drink coffee like every morning, most mornings. So you kind of got me back into my into the coffee habit. I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it's good. I think <laughs> there's there's been quite a bit of research that's come out about how people who drink coffee live longer and they're healthier. So we've we've debated why that is, right? <laughs> but but it doesn't change the fact. Is it the coffee or is it one of the many other factors? It's debatable. Uh, debatable. It's debatable. But... Okay, King Coffee, I like that. Approved. Approved. What is a topic that you're really into right now? A topic I'm super into water right now. I'm really, really fascinated by what's going on in the West, how we got here, um, and what's what's led to you know the drought that we're currently in, like the mega drought 2021. We've got epic short rainfalls, like short rain seasons, like the drought in in California right now. We haven't we haven't seen a drought of this scale before. Um, 
So I'm pretty, I'm pretty into, into that. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk more about that in, in the episode, but I want you to give me something else, something that's random, something that you're not always into. You're always into water. (laughs) Oh, I've been, I've been, I've been into bow hunter education lately. (laughs) I just pounded that class out in just a couple days from pressure from one of my friends. We've been talking about doing it forever. Um, and there we, we go. We both committed to getting our bow hunters education completed. There you this go. Year. Okay. So. What about? I'm sure everybody listening is curious of all of the things I I talk about and I'm into. What do you find most interesting? There's you talk a, you talk a lot about human design, and I know that since I've had my human design reading, mm-hmm. you've you've expanded your knowledge quite a bit mm-hmm. with that. Um, so. Anytime human design comes up, there's been a few things that I've kind of changed my or adapted my life around to mm-hmm. to fit my human design. And I have found that to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. I am synergistic with everything else that I'm doing. Like, can you give some examples of what you've applied? <laughs> the biggest one was my digestive type. <laughs> yeah. So my human design chart says that I'm sunny digestion. So <laughs> it's I, direct. I, it's <laughs> very, yeah, we call it sunny D. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> direct sunny D. <laughs> so when, when I, if I, if I eat during the day when uh-huh. it's light outside or sunny, um, I digest better. If I wait until the sun goes down, for instance, to eat, which I, I've been in kind of a rut for a couple of years of being so busy and forgetting to eat. And then it's before bed and I, you know, make something really quick, slap it together and, and <laughs> force feed. Um, I, I no, wake, you've been on a good schedule. I wake up <laughs> recently. But, recently, but, but this is in the, like, the past couple of years, yeah. I, I found that if I eat after the sun goes down, I wake up feeling super hungover. Yeah. Um, just like I got hit by a train. Yeah. It's been a good one to discover. I'm glad that you've taken to human design so much because I love it. Which, well, this leads me into my next question I was going to ask. What is your human design type for, for people um, who are familiar with that? Okay, so I'm a projector. Mm-hmm. I'm a 5-1. Yeah. My not-self theme is bitterness. <laughs> yeah. What's your authority? My authority? Yeah. Emotional yeah. authority, which as an engineer is is difficult to yeah. to embrace at times. I think you're still getting the learning curve. Okay, so that's your human design. What about astrology? Sun sign, moon sign, rising. Do you know any of these? You know, you know some of these. I know them. Taurus. Mm-hmm. Taurus is a sun sign. Aries. Mercury. Your Mercury is in Aries. Your rising is in Aquarius. Your moon is in Aquarius as well. You just know all this stuff? Yeah, I know. All, I've okay. probably gone through your chart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that. And Parker doesn't like the Enneagram, but I think you're a one, a three, or a five. Uh, depending on which test we look at, <laughs> yeah. I, I am a one, a three, or a five. Yeah, he doesn't really like Enneagram that much. But human design, he like, okay, great. So people have a good idea of of what you're like based on your your uh, birth information. So I want you to explain to the listeners what you do for a living. Tell them more about that. So I help 
farms, golf courses, cities and municipalities, essentially people who manage agricultural land, um, build soil health, um, regenerate the soil, use less water and less chemicals to grow a healthier crop, whether that's a, a golf course of grass, you know, denser, greener, healthier turf, mm -hmm. or whether it's a farm where we're looking at feed quality for uh, crops that are grown for. So crops have feed quality, which is like crude protein, relative feed value, um, a bunch of different metrics that go to plant health, um, increase those while reducing inputs mm -hmm. um, like water, fertilizer, chemicals, biocides. Yeah. Sure. And what got you into that? So my fascination and obsession with water really pulled me into what I do today. Um, being able to kind of why I'm so fascinated with the drought is the ability to save 20, 30, 40% of water at a farm park golf course um, and produce a higher quality playing surface crop product essentially mm -hmm. while using so much less water so much less inputs so much less labor um is is kind of a a, a two plus two equals five it's almost too good to be true to mm -hmm. be able to make that kind of impact on an operation um and what sparked your passion in with water to begin with so when i was in college my i, I studied mechanical engineering and our senior year we had to do a a senior design project mm -hmm. and so my senior design project was based around researching uh, and developing a solution for purifying desalinating and purifying drinking water for wells that have been contaminated by saline so i learned that you know this is back 2015 numbers i'm sure they're higher now but the leading cause of death worldwide is water, mm. is essentially waterborne illness. And back, you know, 2015 numbers was, I think it was 1.4 million people a year die of waterborne illness or disease. Mm -hmm. And so just by cleaning water, just by designing this, this water purification system, um, something that could impact, you know, the leading cause of death. It was essentially to, to help people mm -hmm. um, was really where I saw this huge need. And water is, you know, one of the most essential mm -hmm. resources for life. I saw that as a huge opportunity that I wanted to, to commit my life to, to making an impact for, for people, the biggest impact that I could make. Were you assigned that topic or did you pick that? I picked it. Um, I proposed, I initially proposed the, essentially what is the core of my business now, yeah. um, which got turned down. Um, but then I got to choose and I chose, chose to do this water purification mm -hmm. project. Did that have to do with, with Trevor's track and what you would learn there? No, it didn't. Com okay. Completely separate. Do you want to talk about that though? Cause I, I feel like it's connected. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a board member of Trevor's Trek Foundation, which is a nonprofit. Uh, my friend Trevor um, started this years ago. Um, he was diagnosed with brain cancer 
lived in a small community in McCall, Idaho, which is a very small community. Um, he was diagnosed with brain cancer and upon diagnosis, his, his, his family kind of looked into why this was, this cancer had occurred pretty prevalently in, in the community. And so, um, they identified other kids had similar brain cancers as Trevor around the same time that he did. Um, they traced it back to the water quality or heavy metals in the water. Mm -hmm. McCall is an old mining town. Um, and they built this foundation around, you know, identifying cancer clusters, what is later known as cancer clusters, and then identifying the environmental toxins or whatever contaminator caused was the root cause of that cancer cluster. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then, you know, Trevor Trek's mission is to identify those, those environmental causes and then enforce or, you know, take action to reduce or, or fix those, those toxins or remove them from the environment. Mm -hmm. So they don't cause increased cancer numbers. So Trevor's Trek today, um, Trevor's Trek's Obama and Obama signed Trevor's law in 2016, which essentially took the responsibility of identifying childhood cancer clusters and remediating the environmental toxins onto the EPA, mm. um, which later in 2016, we had a change of office. And unfortunately, you know, for worse, um, Trevor's law was put on the back burner. And this last year, we've really, Trevor's put a lot of work into reorganizing the foundation with the new administration coming mm -hmm. into office. It's a, it's a pretty big opportunity for us to reorganize and retarget, you mm -hmm. know, to, to execute our mission. Yeah. Well, it was wild to me when you said, what did you say? It was his mom who like could literally identify where somebody lived based on the type of cancer they had. Yeah. So the first time I met uh, Trevor's mom, Charlie, um, she, she'd heard that my little brother had also was a cancer survivor. He, he was diagnosed with cancer when he was four. She opened up the conversation right after we met with, I bet I could guess where you grew up based on the type of cancer that your brother had. And this was before I knew anything yeah. about, <laughs> before I knew anything about uh -huh. cancer clusters. And, and I told her my little brother had stage two Wilms tumor. She knew exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. And she, she, she guessed, she, she knew nothing really of my background, but she guessed exactly where I, I grew up, you know, my childhood home. Yeah. And, and I said, how, you know, how did you know that? How did you know <laughs> that I lived behind that Albert? Yeah. How could you possibly figure like just in casual conversation mm -hmm. like this? And she said, uh, well, like, uh, she knew like down to the street. Like, yeah, like, I mean, she knew like it was behind the Albertsons. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like across the street from yeah. my middle school that I went to. Mm -hmm. um, and and so she wow. she said that there was recently, I think it was in the past two months or so that there had been uh, another another child on this like same area, same mm -hmm. street diagnosed with the same cancer that my little brother had, but stage four. Um, so wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting because like when we met, I mean, were you surprised that I understood what you did? <laughs> you know, cause I feel like I remember when I met you, I was, and I was learning about what you did. I'm like, whoa, this is like what everybody in, 
in my space because I was more nutrition at that point, right, is like talking about in terms of the environment and what's going on with the soil. And then I meet you, meet you and I'm like, what are the chances of this? And at, at that point in my own health journey, I had kind of veered off from what I had been traditionally taught was kind of like the path to um, to get to the root of chronic health issues. And I was looking a lot more into the environment and like actually at heavy metals, I was like, kind of a route like everybody should start here looking from that approach so it's interesting that like we met at that time when I was at that point and then I remember you telling me about Trevor's track and it was just like mind-blowing to me because I'm like it, it was just overlapping at the same time and I was seeing that um you know different different illness but I talked to a lot of people with all different types of of um, chronic diseases and sicknesses and looking at root cause like I think environment is one of the like biggest root causes that nobody talks about because people feel like they don't have immediate access to it. But we do so much to try and eat clean food and take all these supplements. And like, we don't realize that it's all around us. You know, like when you were telling me about the turf, like that just like blew my mind because I didn't even think about that. You know, do you want to talk more about turf? Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know how, how far I can go into, into details yeah. with this, but one of the, one of the, one of the predominant trends in California and kind of around, around the country where we're, we're experiencing drought is to replace our turf with artificial turf that doesn't require water or any inputs. Um, one of the, one of the negatives to that is you're, you're essentially you're essentially removing living plant material and sterilizing soil um, from, you know, blocking it off or suffocating it from the sun. Um, there are short-term benefits like reduced water use, um, not having to maintain it, low maintenance. But um, some of the other offsets that we've, we've found out is that the crumb rubber that they use in, in synthetic turf, um, you might know because you, you might've played a sport on a, like, AstroTurf field at some time and had those little black crumbs get mm -hmm. in your face and your ears and your hair and your shoes and your socks everywhere. Those little pieces of crumb rubber like emit these things called volatile organic compounds, which have been tied to increased mm -hmm. rates in cancer, specifically leukemia. Mm -hmm. um, and having having that, you know, talking about the environment <laughs> of you know what what causes illness us. You know, putting putting synthetic turf in um, athletic complexes, fields, our own yards. I don't, you know, playgrounds, childhood playgrounds. Like, I'm not not sure we have a full understanding of <laughs> what what the what the negative consequences of of that action are. You know, yeah. 10, 15, 20 years from now. But I think the main the main thing that we're we're talking about here and what connected for us so well was just to be conscious of our environment mm -hmm. you know all, where are all these toxins coming from yeah um, and am i actively participating in supporting that mm -hmm. source of toxins yeah you know by by signing up for the the artificial turf program and, yeah. and getting that subsidized artificial turf put in our yard for yeah. instance like, well i think it it seems to be a trend that we that we uh, put things in place to solve issues immediately rather than look at the long term. But uh, for me, I think like if I never had a health issue, 
I would never have explored any of this. And then you just get deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. And then now it's like, I walk, I walk the neighborhood and I look at people's lawns differently. Like I never would have looked at people's lawns that way before, you know, I used to, uh, just kind of like think fake grass was better because it <laughs> looked better. And I've learned all this stuff from you. And it just kind of blown my mind because I feel like I have this whole rabbit hole from being in the health space. And then you brought this other layer to it for me around like the, the larger environment. And I think something else um, that I never thought about, like you talk about the importance of like golf courses, you know, can you explain why they're important to our environment? So golf courses are super important, not just for the environment, but, but for, for our communities, mm -hmm. like there's a statistic, 90% of urban green space or green space in urban environments is golf courses. So there's a huge, and, and that's, that's, that's hard to comprehend. But if you think of a typical golf course, it's a hundred, 130 acres of undisturbed green space where the natural environment is preserved more or less. So native mm -hmm. pollinators, um, habitat, there are benefits for golfers and for non-golfers mm -hmm. of golf courses. Um, some being mental health, you know, there's a lot of research around being outside, um, being positive for mental health, but, but for, for people who own houses, say on a golf course, uh, one of my mentors has done a lot of research around this. But there's a natural cooling effect from the transpiration, from the grass and the trees and the undisturbed natural environment, mm -hmm. essentially, um, and meticulous maintenance of the turf that cools the surrounding neighborhoods. So you'll find that like cooling bills in the summer um, around a golf course are, are much lower mm -hmm. than if, you know, uh, houses are just in a subdivision with, you know, pavement and their own, yeah. their own lawns. It's interesting. It's like. I mean, if there weren't golf courses, how much, I mean, would we just be totally just like buildings, you know, green space gone? Well, this is, <laughs> this is, this is something that's actually in the golf world. It's, it's one of the biggest, biggest risks we're, we're facing and mm -hmm. one of the biggest battles we're fighting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the city of Los Angeles um, or county of Los Angeles manages 19 municipal golf courses mm -hmm. and, and there's they're always under threat um, from politicians who are looking to um, quick, essentially cash grabs to cover up um, and, and fund pension programs that, that are just have been out of control for, for decades. And golf courses are 100 to 130 acres of what the politicians think are you know, we can, we can convert these golf courses into developments in low-income housing. And that's, that's overall, that's, it's a huge threat. It's a huge threat to the sport of golf. It's a huge threat to our health and golf courses are huge carbon sinks. I mean, per square, per square foot, like we may look at a, you know, if you're not a non-golfer, you may look at a golf course and think, wow, that's a huge waste of resources. Look at all the water they use. Look at all the chemicals they use, you know, look how much they have to mow, look how much fuel they burn. Um, the, the, actually per square foot, like a golf course is managed extremely efficiently. You know, we, we do, you know, the industry spends millions and millions of dollars in research on irrigation systems. And we're, 
adopting technology like we're using drones we're using soil moisture sensors and salinity sensors and and we're we're using live data from from the from the course or from the soil or you know however we're measuring it to optimize and streamline our our efficiencies so what we're doing to to mow less to mm-hmm. you know um essentially manage it more efficiently um the the carbon these golf courses are huge carbon sinks so they're actually doing environmental good that we're not really doing a great job measuring mm-hmm. and we're not really doing a great job of telling the story mm-hmm. i think that's probably one of the biggest downfalls that golf has to date is we've we've been developing all this technology and we've been at we are at the forefront of of irrigating turf and we haven't really shared that story um Mm -hmm. now now we're starting to see more of a push on the environmental and sustainability side of golf particularly with how many more people are interested in golf after this last year golf was one of the one of the one of the only things that you could do yeah that was that was outside by this point i think we all know i am obsessed with organifi and drink their products pretty much all day long and people ask me all the time where to start okay my favorite product is back organifi harmony it tastes like the richest most delicious hot chocolate all you have to do is add a scoop to hot water and you have a yummy dairy-free gluten-free soy-free vegan hormone balancing elixir this product was designed specifically to support hormonal balance it has ingredients like cacao maca chasteberry shatavari different adaptogens to support female hormones and it does not disappoint so i highly recommend getting your hands on harmony i just ordered i think like six because i need to stock up i cannot tell you how good this tastes and i feel amazing when i drink it i like to drink it every single day it's great for pms support reducing bloating moodiness acne it also gives you a natural boost of energy cannot recommend it enough and trust me you will love the taste another one of my faves is the green juice i love to drink this every morning it is packed with 11 superfoods specifically meant to help support detoxification in the body and naturally boost your energy and i think everybody could use a little extra detox support right now we have natural detoxification processes in our bodies but the problem is that We're often pretty overburdened. Our livers are overburdened. So supporting detox is really, really helpful. And this is a delicious, easy way to do it. You just put a scoop in water. I like to add in a little bit of nut milk and it has this like, I don't know, milkshakey type taste. So good. But it has ingredients like moringa, which is amazing for naturally boosting your energy. So refreshing. Ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that helps to balance out your hormones, specifically cortisol. And ingredients like spirulina, chlorella, two of my faves that I get in every single day to help decalcify the pineal gland. Those are just a few of the ingredients that are amazing for naturally boosting energy and supporting detox. I feel so like fresh, clear, clean, love that natural energy hit in the morning. I cannot live without this stuff. I feel a noticeable difference if I miss a day or a couple days. So if you want to try out Organifi's Green Juice or Harmony or any of their other incredible products, you can head to 
Organifi.com slash CTC. That is spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash CTC. And that code CTC will get you 20% off. Again, Organifi.com slash CTC. That's Organifi with an I at the end. And that code CTC will get you 20% off. And I cannot wait to hear how much you love your products. Take a picture on Instagram when you drink Organifi and tag me so I can see what you're sipping on. Can you tie this together for people who are a little more aware in terms of like we talk about regenerative agriculture a lot in the health space and like, um, you know, there's this whole like movement kiss ground. People are talking about this, but then there are also people that have no idea what's even going on with the environment. So can you kind of give an overview of like what's happening because you work on the farm side too, right? And then tying that together back to like why it's important when you talk about golf as like carbon sinks. Okay. Yeah. So we'll start with agriculture. So big ag, I mean, if anybody's familiar with, with, uh, kiss the ground or biggest little farm or any of these, you know, phenomenal documentaries that, that go into depth about this, um, conventional agriculture, um, and big ag has, is, is a huge threat to our food security. Um, you know, we've, this consists of plowing, um, tilling, you know, turning soil over, um, leaving fields bare, you know, not planting cover crops, um, using synthetic, lots of synthetic fertilizers, biocides, insecticides, mm-hmm. fungicides, you know, it's not, it's not their fault that they're using those. I think, I think is, 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 is one, one point that I'd like to get back to in a mm-hmm. second, but the way that we're managing our soils is we're essentially killing it. When we, when we tear up the soil, when we plow the soil, when we disc the soil, we're, we're essentially, we're essentially killing it. It's like, it's like sticking a knife into it. You're literally, (laughs) it's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it has a detrimental effect on the soil biology that's, that's there. So does using all these synthetic, you know, cheap forms of, of fertility, which, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the farmer's fault why they're using it. It's just (laughs) the fact that they are using it has, been detrimental Mm -hmm. to soil biology or soil life Mm -hmm. um not planting cover crops you know exposing soil um you know to the sun to the wind to the to the elements um we get we get runoff we get topsoil erosion i mean if you i drive a lot and so i'll I'll be driving through farm country you know in in california a west coast even um you know, just driving through agricultural land and seeing, you can't see the visibility is, is horrible. It's awful because so much of the topsoil from plowing, tilling, disking, mechanical disturbance of the soil, it picks up and blows away and it's in the air. Um, along with Mm -hmm. everything that previous crops or that soil had been treated with before, Mm. um, which, you know, cause, cause respiratory illness you know it's not safe to go outside when there's there's so much particulate matter in in the air um we're we're literally literally watching our 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 soils or our our soil life deteriorate and and blow away you know gone with the wind yeah and like i mean (laughs) i i mean i feel kind of dumb because I had like heard that for a while. I like, I remember like in high school and college, like hearing people talk about that. And I literally just didn't connect like, Hey, if our soil is screwed, like I won't have food. 
Like, I think people literally don't make that connection of like, this is like very relevant and relevant in our lifetimes. Right. Can you share more about, I mean, like, I know some people, I don't know what your perspective is. I haven't even asked you, but like, I've heard people say like, we have like 60 to 70 years before we're like, not going to have food. Yeah. So there's, there's a few, a few statistics that are, that are very doom and gloom yeah. and not, not that I'm going to disagree with with them mm-hmm. but i think there's a lot of action that we should take we should take these numbers mm-hmm. that that are being that are being put out there by by reputable and credible organizations right um that we have 60 harvests left and we should do something we should take action to correct our path mm-hmm. you know um and and get on get on a path that's more sustainable yeah meaning we're not going to have a limited number of of harvests left Yeah. It's funny because when you like, and even when you just explain this right now, it reminds me so much of literally like it's gut health, you know? And when you described your, your system to me, when I was trying to understand like what you did with, with golf courses and farms and you described it as like probiotics for the soil, right. To like regenerate the soil. And then you're describing kind of what's happened where we've like basically like killed the soil. Right. It reminds me so much of literally what happens to people's guts. Right. And like um, leaky gut is like the top cause of of chronic illness and how we eat all these things. We consume all of these things or you put things in our body that like straight up just like (laughs) kind of kill our gut. And then you have to spend so much time rebuilding the microbiome. And that's kind of what's what's happening with the soil. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's happening with the soil. Mm -hmm. I mean, it. With what we see out there when we're driving around mm-hmm. the farms, it's so reminiscent of what the Dust Bowl looked yeah. like. And and it's it's very it's very similar. Why how did we end up in that in that situation? Mm-hmm. You know, how did we end up in in the Dust Bowl? Um, you know, physical management of the soil, <laughs> you know, plowing it, tilling it, disking it, um, using synthetics, um, you know, killing the soil mm-hmm. um caused you know, the the disaster that that was was the Dust Bowl. So now when we're we're driving around agricultural land in the year 2021 and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing these huge clouds of, you know, dirt that Mm -hmm. that's or soil that's in our in our atmosphere blowing around eroding. It's 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 concerning that we're we still have fields that aren't covered. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, we're still using, you know, huge commercial we 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 don't look and it's it's not it's not ag's it's not ag's fault but i mean as a farmer if you're it gets harder and harder to till your soil it gets harder and harder to plow your soil and so what the trends are is you know how do you how do you solve that problem you know if my soil is harder and harder to till like my my tractor won't do it anymore you just get a bigger tractor you know that's been the solution so i mean going in these tractors you know a, a 500 500 550 horsepower tractor is not a small piece of equipment but guys are literally going out there with 800 900 horsepower tractors Mm -hmm. to do the same thing to run the same plow as they were before but the soil is so much harder it's so much more (laughs) compact it's so much more dead there's so much less life in it than there was before how does it affect the, the food itself like taste wise quality wise like how did when they grow on that when it's so 
old and kind of dead and depleted. So, yeah. so when the soil, that's why we're not getting all of our nutrients. Right? I mean, that's one of the, yeah. one of the main reasons okay. is, is biological activity in the soil mm-hmm. is actually correlated to the nutrition value of, mm-hmm. of your crop. Yeah. So the healthier your soil is, the more nutrients, macros and micros, your pro, whatever your crop is, is produce, if it's grass, mm-hmm. if it's feed, if it's corn, the, the more nutrient dense that yeah. crop is gonna is gonna be yeah and that's like what people people will ask a lot of people ask kind of when they're newer to this space like well pe- people who eat so healthy why why do you take all these supplements people don't realize it's like you eat a super clean diet you're still you're still not getting all of the nutrients you need because our soil is so depleted you know so, so you really need to and it's like that's why it's interesting the the level of hunger people have like people will eat a really clean nutrient dense diet but they're still not getting the nutrients people will still have physiological hunger because our bodies are looking for nutrients right and so it's just really interesting like people can be hungry and starving for nutrients even when they're eating a very clean whole foods based diet because like this is what our soil is at right now yeah and it's not it's not just it's not just it's not just impacting our lives in one way you know Mm -hmm. soil being depleted it's not just impacting our our lives through, you know, the, the mechanism of delivering food that's not nutritious, you Mm -hmm. know, food that isn't as wholesome or, you know, our food lacks, Mm -hmm. lacks nutrients, um, because the soil is, is, has deteriorated, is dying. We're, we're also having, you know, secondary effects of that, that we are just now beginning to realize, which are negative environmental impacts. So as that, as that soil dies it erodes it blows away you know causes respiratory issues Mm -hmm. um the soil actually you know i don't know if you knew this but the soil actually sequesters or sinks more carbon than all the trees on the planet and that's primarily driven by biological activity in the soil and so as our soils die our biggest tool our biggest lever our biggest weapon to fight or combat climate change is we're we're watching it waste away mm-hmm. and we're act, we're actively participating yeah. in in losing the 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 biggest hope we have to to reverse this this process that that we're in. Yeah. Okay, one other thing I just want to say cuz you you like see this going on. Is there a difference between organic and non-organic foods or is everything blowing around just messing it up? Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a, that's a, it's a good question. Uh, it's, it's a complicated answer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be driving down a, a dirt road where, you know, on the left is organic and on the right is, is non-organic and, yeah. and, um, <laughs> it's, it's a complicated answer. I think that like sometimes would you say? I would say that the ability for the consumer to vote with their dollar mm-hmm. and to actually support organic produce support. is important. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's one of the biggest tools we have is by I'm not the first person to say it, but yeah. voting with your dollar yeah. to support sustainable practices or yeah. more wholesome or you know um, whether it's free trade, organic, if it's if it's certified, the various mm-hmm. organizations that do the certification. I think those that are putting forth the extra effort to get the certifications, yeah, you know, those that are putting forth the extra effort to pay their employees fairly, you know, I really believe that, 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 that 
that process is is you know supporting that movement is is the main is the main yeah. way we can that's important and supporting local right like farmers markets yeah that's that's, that's great and in you know farmers markets obviously the best i believe it's the yeah. best way you can go and support you know know your farmer know your mm-hmm. know your producer um get to know them you know go out and see where your food's grown mm-hmm. you know see what they do see how they, most of these guys who are out there you know work really hard you know for for you yeah you know all their they're aligned with with health management practices the environment water you know um start a conversation with one of those guys and if if you don't have the time you know if you're scheduled if you're super busy and you can't make it to the farmer's market like just go buy organics mm-hmm. you know support the organic movement support yeah. support in, in any way you can if it's you know spending an extra 10 cents yeah you know per pound or dollar per pound how much is it really going to affect you versus how much is it supporting the movement mm-hmm. I've, i see a lot of of big commercial agriculture going more towards organic mm-hmm. now so what's what's preventing a lot of farms from utilizing more sustainable practices so that's a huge question i'm going to try to narrow it down with mm-hmm. with a few examples um you know we have so one of the problems is we don't have cover crops right one of the reasons we don't have you know every acre of farmed land isn't tell people what's a cover crop so a cover crop is is something you plant that you you might plan to harvest but it's not it's not really for profit it's mm-hmm. it's just to cover the soil so it doesn't erode it's like your it's like honestly it's your environmental responsibility mm-hmm. as a farmer to take care of the land or tend to the land and cover cropping is like i think we learned about it in elementary school and and i'm so blown away that cover cropping isn't like a standard practice mm-hmm. like in you know industrial like big ag today or even even small to med- medium ag mm-hmm. you know the fields going going bare fallow um you know being exposed to the elements deteriorating the biological the soil biome um, by not having when you when you plant a cover crop you have uh, you know say say it's it's like sudan or i'll say it's like sudan or silage or something you're just going to grow to to cover the crop maybe break even maybe you grow feed you take that sudan and you sell it to a dairy but when you grow that that plant that plant has roots that are that are going down into the soil and those those roots shed like exudates and help put carbon back in the soil and those roots hold the soil in place. And those roots have phenomenal intricate webs of soil biology and, and fungi that, that are connecting, you know, all the plants in that field, um, as well as, you know, protecting the soil from the harsh environment that's going to ultimately, um, deteriorate Mm -hmm. it if it's exposed. So I think, there's there's kind of a gap in in impl- in like implementation here mm-hmm. and and I think we've had we've had like there's not much incentive at the big commercial scale to plant cover crops like particularly in your areas where you have you know you have high value produce crops and your your main your main crops are your it's like spring or fall um or maybe you're trying to do both 
with you know high high really high value produce um, and squeezing in a cover crop for the summer or the winter really doesn't pencil out it doesn't make financial sense like our soils are so depleted that the cost to prep that ground for for the fall produce season mm-hmm. it actually costs more like let's just throw out a number it costs like say a thousand dollars an acre to prep mm-hmm. this land that's plow it disc it prepare it for the produce crop it costs so much money that you can't really afford to plant a cover crop that you're only going to pull like yeah you know maybe if you do really well maybe you're pulling you know 500 600 an acre but now your prep costs mm-hmm. have you haven't achieved yeah especially when they're having such a hard time to begin with right because a lot of farms are like shutting down Oh yeah. Like the, the small farmer is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a really, it's, it's harder and harder every year for a small farmer to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the cards, the table has been stacked against them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, that's one reason. What about like government incentives? Oh, subsidies. Yeah. So, so subsidies, things we subsidize and you, you know, you're like from your health side is, you know, your, your corn, your soy, um, you know, heavily subsidized. Um, I'm not sure if we're still subsidizing cotton, but um, so much money goes into farm subsidies that actually, you know, impair or are impediments to our health. Yeah. Right. Like all this processed, all our processed foods, most of them come from like corn and soy, like mm-hmm. production. Like, if I think subsidies were great for what they were intended for, which was like, you know, when we're in world, like when we're fighting a world war and we need, we need to produce nutrition for our soldiers and for the world, you know, for the allies, like we, we did a phenomenal job, but, but if we, if we rethink subsidies and we start thinking forward, like we start thinking, well, maybe we should subsidize cover crops. Maybe we should give these farmers three or $400 an acre so they can, they can break even on a cover crop this summer. You know, if, if the implications are massive, if we're, if we're able to do that, if we're able to cover all our land, um, you know, every season with, with plants, we can rebuild soil biology, mm-hmm. um, you know, and soil carbon and start putting more carbon in the ground than we have, than we're, you know, releasing into the environment. Yeah. Like, so we survive. Yeah. Yeah. To essentially as as a species. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, we need to we need to put more carbon back in the ground than we release into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, If 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 we're gonna if we're gonna be able to survive. What's your What's your deal with cotton? Oh, I have, I have, I have some beef with cotton. (laughs) I have some beef with cotton. Beef with cotton. (laughs) Um, So. Cotton is super inefficient. Cotton requires a ton of water to produce. And when you harvest cotton, you typically spray it with a systemic mm-hmm. like glyphosate. glyphosate Roundup 2,4-D. This is hard for me. You know, well, the, let's look at the reason. Let's look at the reason why we do it. So, you know, you, you, grow the, you grow the cotton field, you use a ton of water to grow this cotton. And now cotton like what you harvest, the product of that is like mm-hmm. the cotton seeds, right? The cotton, the, the fluff. Um, and, and so to get the, that's cotton entering, you know, ending its vegetative cycle. 
and going into reproduction. And so a way to get to help maximize the reproduction ability of that plant is to kill it. So it puts all its effort into producing the cotton that, mm. that we use for, for textiles, clothing, consumer products. But, but the, the implication of that, right? So we're maximizing our yield by using this chemical. Um, we didn't really know how bad these chemicals were for our health, mm. you know, until fairly recently, right? There were, there were whistleblowers early on with, with many of these products that did that are we bad. not know or were people too lazy to actually figure it out before using it that's my, that's that's my rhetorical question but continue <laughs> so so we we spray these fields to maximize our yields because farmers are trying to make a profit right mm -hmm. um but like now we're finding out that like glyphosate like resides is like residual glyphosate is in our soil for years down the line you know 10 15 years down the line the glyphosate is in the soil so where else is that growing? You know, what field is getting planted after the cotton? You know, yeah. is that, is that corn? Is that, is that, are we planting corn? Are we planting soy? Uh -huh. Are we planting, you know, that goes into, to consumer products or are we planting, you know, alfalfa yeah. <laughs> that's going to the cattle Yeah. that, you know. Well, that's important for people to know, like. I, I'm and I'm really thinking from the health perspective, right? Of people who don't understand why they might still have symptoms, you know, and they're it's like even if your food wasn't sprayed with it, right? If it was grown in the same field that you're saying for like ten to, to ten to fifteen years, right? It can insta it can it can stay in there. Um, it could be in your food, which is wild. Yeah, and and <laughs> who's who's tracking that? Yeah, who's looking at that? Well, you know, like, so it's like with our, what about with our clothes? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, I don't know. I mean, I think this is why it feels really overwhelming for people. Like it feels overwhelming for me. Right. It's like, okay, go, do I go through all of my clothes? And we, we have to face that. Right. And then we start buying other materials. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. Do we, how do we, how do we support, how do we, how do we educate the consumer yeah. to get to the point that they're going to change behavior based on, you know, what we're finding out mm -hmm. is, is the, the cause or the root yeah. cause. Like, am I going to go and throw out my, my cotton, all my, my cotton polos from, yeah. from my closet? Probably not. Can I measure, you know, what the negative health implications of this are on me? Mm -hmm. Like, is it causing me? Is it causing me negative health? Mm -hmm. You know, do I, are there negative implications from wearing this shirt right now? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, well, I mean, uh, I think we're sure. I mean, especially if you think about beds, right? Like, why I'm so like <laughs> such a big deal to buy buy a mattress, right? <laughs> like, where? Like, what is this made out of? Because it really does affect people's health. It really does. So, but it's a big. I think this is why um, when it feels that big, it's harder for people to take action. But we. We need to be aware. Yeah. What I would like to see is I would like to see, you know, more, <laughs> I would like to see more clothes made out of like bamboo, more clothes made out mm -hmm. of hemp. You know, we can replace cotton. Like cotton isn't an inefficient crop. Like yeah. cotton is a inherently inefficient crop to grow. It's, it's, it's like, it's like environmentally irresponsible mm -hmm. to grow cotton at this point. Um, with, so with all the other alternatives. So <laughs> I mean... <laughs> In in agriculture and and like communities are inherently resistant to change. Like 
especially no. when, when you talk about like <laughs> like big big time not long the millennials standing. well maybe not the, but how many millennials are farming right like we'll, we'll get there like, <laughs> <does it? laughs> okay continue sorry just, oh, i'm I, just i'm just trying to pump us up oh yeah i'm um, just trying to pump us up well i mean there's i have some friends who are farming that are yeah. you know millennials and and they crush it they're one of my friends makes his own compost. He doesn't use fertilizer. He's got, he farms half an acre and it's one of the most productive operations that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of examples. You know, I think, I think if we're, if we're able to, you know, create change in whatever way that may be, if it's, if it's, you know, going on podcasts and educating people about, you know, the supply chain and what mm -hmm. the problems are in the environment, what's problems are with our, our, food supply yeah. you know our our aggregate that <laughs> the chain of custody mm -hmm. from your you know your morning coffee or your eggs for breakfast or yeah. you know what what happened between you know the time the time this was produced yeah and when it got to you yeah um i think i think it's it's mainly an educational gap between because I, I don't think anybody wants to kill the soil. I don't think no. anybody's, nobody's really out. It's just, it's just, we, there hasn't been, the message hasn't been communicated. You know, yeah. there hasn't been solid science, which every day there's more and more mm -hmm. solid science yeah. that shows, you know, that, that soil, soil health is a huge deal. Yeah. Well, it's just like such a wake up call that, you know, we could go to the store and they're like not be produce. You know, when you're saying that, like, like if things just keep getting worse, like you could go to the grocery store and it's not, it's just like the things that we take for granted. Um, I mean, and I'm speaking to the, the type of person listening to this podcast, right. Um, probably can, can relate to that. Like we go to the store and we expect there's, there's produce, but that could very much not be the case if we don't, if things don't change. I want to, uh, I want to get back to the, the water debacle um, because I feel like I mean, I'm sure lots of people are talking about it, but I feel like people aren't as loud about this as, as some other things. Um, what's going on with, with water, water supply, drought, California, like what's happening? So our water situation, we're in a mega drought. Mm -hmm. So meaning we're experiencing a drought that is unprecedented. Like I think there's been one since we've started keeping track, like a hundred and some years ago, we've had one year that was drier than this mm -hmm. year in the history. And we've never had dry years leading up to that at the scale that we have today. So mm -hmm. we get drier and drier. For instance, like I have some work in San Jose and the average rainfall. And you're talking about California specifically. Yeah. Okay, just for people. Let's, well, yeah. We'll talk about California specifically and then kind of get to the Southwest and what this means. Okay. Um, so, so San Jose, 22 inches of, of rain at this particular property mm -hmm. per year, historic average. This year they got seven inches. So they're at less than one third their annual rainfall. Now mm -hmm. that's, that's huge. That's a, that's a big deal. That's a big change. You know, it's been so, so we're seeing water reductions you know, being, being implemented by, you know, water authorities, uh, across, across the state and, you know, some, some upwards of one of the most aggressive ones was up in Marin County, you know, golf courses were told that they, they got a 40% cut, um, of their water. Now 
the way that those golf courses, you know, respond to that is they, they have to abide by that. You know, mm -hmm. it's their responsibility to cooperate with the water authority and they're doing a phenomenal job. You know, the, the courses don't look great. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of grass is dying, mm -hmm. but they're, they're cooperating with the water authority, which mm -hmm. is something that like the overall industry, I think should model um, public relations around, you know, what, what they're doing up, up North, because it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's the way that it's the only way to, to coexist with, within, uh, the group of water users. So we have, we have these, these droughts, they affect golf courses, but you, you think of how does this affect agriculture? Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's, that's, that's huge, right? So I think golf courses use like 1% of water amongst municipal users, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like under 2%. It's really small, but you think of, of all our, of all the water that gets used and is allocated. I think agriculture is like over 60% and it might be higher. Don't hold me, but it's, it's a, it's a large amount. So in the Southwest we have, it's a crisis. It's like, lake our lakes are are dropping our reservoirs are dropping and they're not being replenished by rain so you know we build we built these huge reservoirs to to hold a certain amount of water so we have kind of mm -hmm. more steady a steady source of water well year after year of drought has led us to to draw down those reservoirs and they haven't been replete repleted mm -hmm. so now we're i think it's so it's it's uh it's like it's like lake mead and lake powell are are at like historic lows mm -hmm. like all-time lows and we're actually i think it's it's 2023 i believe that we're expecting i think it's like mead to go into deadpool which means that it gets to a a level i think it's like 890 some feet mm -hmm. but we get to a level that we actually can't extract any water from from the reservoir and we can't generate any electricity with that because the turbines are are above you know the water mm -hmm. level so we don't or there's not enough pressure from the water pushing down to power the turbines mm -hmm. so we're we're in a in a state of 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 crisis you know looming crisis for being able to and that water supplies you know the the coastal cities yeah. you know all the farms in between yeah so i mean that sounds pretty pretty gloomy what like what could get us out of that debacle <laughs> i mean it is it is doom and gloom definitely but we can um, pray to a, the rain gods there's a lot of yeah we can <laughs> I'll take i'll take that one <laughs> let's get out there and do your rain dance. Yeah, do the rain dance start start the rain dance no i think there's there's got to be a lot of change in education we have a phenomenal bank of technology that we can use mm -hmm. to far more efficiency more efficiently irrigate our lawns more efficiently you know irrigate golf courses more efficiently um you know practice more more regenerative agriculture you know on the farming side you know cover crops um moisture sensors you know monitoring you water. A ton of water i mean so in the and then in the i'm going to kind of expand this conversation a little bit in the northwest you know, coming out of the Snake River, there's the Snake River Valley, tons of farms that irrigate with water coming out of the river. We had, we had, you know, pivot irrigation is predominant um, among that region, which is just a, a way to deliver water to a, to a farm. 
to a lot of acreage fairly efficiently. And we, we didn't have like, we historically, there hasn't been like reg regulations to monitor water use. Mm -hmm. Like the last, I was, I was at the East Idaho ag show like a couple years ago. And that was one of the big deals was <laughs> there's, there's a requirement to put meters on your pivots by such and such date. I think it was like 2022 or something. Um, but, but that was a big, that's a big wake up call for me sitting in the audience, you know, attending this, this conference is I'm blown away that we don't know how much water we use, Yeah, you know, and talking, talking to, talking to farmers, you know, and, and customers, like how much water do you use? Well, we, we run our pivots from Memorial day to labor day, Good. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of those pivots are on, on 24 hour yeah. circles, yeah. meaning they'll, they they run nonstop essentially. So, so we're, it's, it's a baby step, yeah. but it's a necessary baby step. It's a lot of step. water though. It's, it's a lot of water. Like, I think when you told me about, like when you ran your system with Tucson, like, can you, can you tell them about how much water was saved? Yeah. So I ran a, ran a program with the city of Tucson parks and rec department um with the the golf sector of that and and 2011 12 and 13 we kind of proved out a concept and scaled within within the municipal system in 2013 we were running on three golf courses and one large park in for the city of tucson we saved them five hundred and twenty thousand dollars in water that mm -hmm. year and we were only on a fraction of yeah of the of the golf courses and in parks that they manage mm -hmm. um that year they they made the biggest profit in in city yeah. golf history of over seven hundred and twenty five thousand dollars and that's attributed to the water savings right half a million dollars of water savings is huge in that number but on top of that they were selling more golf than they could like had thought possible yeah because the grass was greener and it was thicker and denser and you know more playable like it's more satisfying to go out and play golf on a golf course that's healthy mm -hmm. you know than a golf course that's brown and dead yeah so so they were and this is back when water was like 800 800 an acre foot you know that's for the listeners water costs about twice as much as that now mm -hmm. so and that's like how big how much how much water is that a football stadium an acre foot an acre foot yeah an acre foot is like think of a football field yeah think of a football field that's about the size of an acre mm -hmm. and then 12 inches of water on that mm -hmm. think of that volume like 12 inches of water across the rectangle of a you know the footprint of a yeah. football field that's how much one acre foot of water is well yeah i mean i think that's another thing that's been so interesting to me like i didn't even realize like when we talk about you've talked about farms and when you help them regenerate the soil like it's saving water but then all of the other resources that go into it like it blew my mind like you can just focus on diesel right and like i mean that's that's crazy <laughs> yeah that's so, crazy so to me let's let's bring up a little more context so so the selling point of building healthy soil varies so much from stakeholder group to stakeholder group and in in agriculture there's a specific niche that i'm hitting um, and gaining a lot of traction is they're interested in saving money on field prep, meaning mm -hmm. plowing, 
tilling, <laughs> disking, physically breaking down the soil between crops and pre- preparing it for the next for the next mm-hmm. round of produce. Yeah, they're essentially. not even thinking about like water savings. No, they're no, they're not, yeah. they're not. They're not thinking about water savings at all. The the sell point is: Can I save money preparing mm-hmm. this field? I'm going to prepare this field three times a year. Yeah, you know, and and essentially, I modeled out for for one of my customers like. I'm going to save you over a million dollars a year, mm-hmm. like well over a million. Yeah. Like, extremely, like this is back when diesel fuel was like at, at under $2 a gallon. Mm-hmm. We're going to save you over a million dollars at scale. Um, so we're doing a smaller pilot project mm-hmm. to just show that it's real. Yeah. You know, it's, everybody wants to see it work on, on yeah. their, on, in their environment, on their land, um, you know, with, yeah. on their farm before scaling. I mean, yeah, it's just wild to me. Like you think about just all of the upstream upstream effects of fixing the soil, right? And it, like for me, like it took me a second when I when we first talked, you know, and I was learning about what you did. I was like, wait, you you're in soil because you really like water, right? <laughs> like most people don't think like that. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult because mm-hmm. why? It's like you're a mechanical engineer and you work in agriculture with soil biology mm-hmm. like what's your how, how did you get yeah. here it's like well you know i'm super passionate about water mm-hmm. but once you get into it and you really it's hard to decide it's hard to figure out what somebody's going to be interested yeah. in whether they're interested in saving water whether they're interested in you know reducing their fertility bill if they're interested in getting away from using you know synthetic wedding agents you know yeah. specialty products that have been designed to help you know depleted soil be more uh productive um, you know, is it fertility savings? Is it, you know, uh, do they have an irrigation system that's, you know, 40 years old and its coverage sucks and they're just trying to, trying to make it last another, another few years, you know? Yeah. Well, okay. The question that, I mean, I know my answer to it, but people have brought this up to me and I thought this too. I'm like, if all of these environmental issues, like, like food supply, water, like everything is, um, like looking at us in the face, right? People know about this. Why are, why is so much agriculture not, not changing, you know? Like when it's literally like in this lifetime, your kids might not have food. Well, I think, I think not changing isn't fair. Mm -hmm. Isn't fair to say because there, there is change. It's just slow. Yeah. You know, it, it is slow. I mean, there's some, there's, there's every day, Every day there's, there's more understanding. Like when I talk to a farmer, there's, there's more understanding and that what I do is important Mm -hmm. and like what we do is important and that soil health is important. Um, the, the, the problem is, is, is where the rubber meets the road is, are we going to make the change fast enough, Yeah, you know, to extend our, you know, Mm -hmm. lifeline Mm -hmm. as, as a species, it, it requires exploring you know, funding research and development of, of new products, of new technologies, of, you know, increasing efficiencies, everything from using less diesel fuel to, you know, cover cropping and, you know, pursuing more of a no-till type of uh, practice if you can, you know, incorporating animals into land management, um, you know, uh, using, measuring how much water we're using so we mm-hmm. can actually... <laughs> take action and, and reduce it. You can't, you can't, you can't manage what you don't measure. So, mm-hmm. you know, from, from, and I, I think, I think agriculture is taking a lot of, 
a lot of steps forward. Is it necessarily going to be fast enough? I guess we'll find out. But but the more open people are to new technology, whether it's you know drone or imaging or you know moisture sensors or smart irrigation or you know new management practices that they may not make sense to you. It mm-hmm. it may sound too good to be true. It may sound impossible. But if that's your mindset, you're never like you could have the best tool. You could have the tool that could could make you so much more money and help you know help help the environment you know help our communities help our 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 health as humans like the human population um that that you would overlook that if you weren't open to something you know new innovative you know yeah. making a change to to the way cause doing it the way you've always done it is is unfortunately is is the way that most of our 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 farmers yeah. you know think and and it's it's tried and it's true and it's safe you know yeah they're scared to do anything different yeah, when, it's, when it's new and they don't know if it's going to yeah I yeah get that. it could it could backfire mm-hmm. you know and, totally and i think i think being open to doing something different and you know uh expanding your education and experience with mm-hmm. different technologies that that have shown promise you know mm-hmm. is 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 the way that we advance advance the industry yeah okay so what are some things that the listener could do to help so i think the listener <laughs> i think you guys could go out and and get more educated about i mean not what's saying going that you on. aren't but yeah educate yourself about what's going on um educate yourself about about soil health watch <laughs> watch kiss the ground it's it's one of the best documentaries that i've seen um, about soil health and mm-hmm. and where we're at with climate change. Um, if you're into documentaries, Biggest Little Farm is great. Um, Food Fix by Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, highly recommend. If you're into water, Cadillac Desert is a phenomenal book. Um, if you're interested in learning how we kind of got into this situation we're in with water, um, Mark Reisner wrote it like mm-hmm. 20, 30, 30, 40 years ago. It's a, it's an old book. It's like, how did we know all these problems existed and we did nothing about it? And now we're here today and our dams are lower than they've ever been. Like, uh, it's a, it's a phenomenal read, um, that mm-hmm. will open your eyes and, and help you, you know, help you educate your peers mm-hmm. and your family and your friends. Yeah. You know? Well, but here's my issue. Like, yes, I think definitely more education but I also feel like I know a lot of people who are really educated on a lot of this. And then what? Like, okay, you're educated. But then, like, what action is getting taken? Because that's where I see the gap is. I mean. It's spreading the education to other people who don't have it. Yeah, I mean, bring, right? bringing it up in conversation. Yeah. It's like, you know, my. But what about actual, like, lifestyle practices? I mean, that recently I went to i think lifestyle practice is important to communicate like why you do what you do i think it's you you go out and you learn and you Mm -hmm. fill this education gap right okay now i know that buying organic is supporting organic farmers in the organic movement and Mm -hmm. you know when i buy um when i buy products that have you know certifications like Mm-hmm. Fair trade. When I go out and I support fair trade, like mm-hmm. here's what that does. Voting with mm-hmm. my dollar and capitalism. Um, this is why I do it. Being able to explain that to your to your friends or your family or, you know, walk them through why you've made changes in your life. 
mm-hmm. and what the big picture is. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, what about water for us? So water, I think, I think, I think knowing more about just simple. So many people drink bottled water. Yeah. I think, I think bottled water, I don't know if we plan to go into this, but, but to understand and like, there's, there's been, oh man, there's. There was a recent headline in the news about it was like they put there was a company that put maybe we could link this in the, this article, mm-hmm. but there's a company that makes alkaline bottled water that's you know marketed to be very safe that they actually put too much of a agent like a chemical in the water and it led to a bunch of uh, illnesses in young children <laughs> like young children were having like I think it was it was like a heart condition or something yeah. that was that was caused by the what water maybe it wasn't heart but water. but we can yeah. we can link it but it was it was childhood illness directly related to drinking bottled water like so your bottled water isn't safe i think yeah. i think i think just because but even a lot of the not bottled water is safe you know well yeah i mean what's coming out of your tap i think running just basic you know run tests you know take some water to they give them they're like free at home depot and you can Mm -hmm. get you know there you can spend as much money on tests as you want but to find out you know what are the what contaminants are in your water and how to filter it at the tap you know Mm -hmm. installing whether it's a reverse osmosis filter or you know, we have a, we have a reverse. First thing I do when I move into a new place, I put, you know, a pretty hardcore water purification system in mm-hmm. like reverse osmosis with alkaline filter. It's got like seven stages, but, but that, that is like so much, so many toxins, so much illness has been connected to water and our water source um, that that investing in and it might be i mean long term putting a water system at your tap is is going to pay for itself time and time and time again Mm -hmm. versus going out and buying water or drinking water from your tap if it's no yeah i know also a lot of people like depending on where you live just um like i have quite a few friends who like to go to the spring and like get water from the spring um if you don't have like an ro system availability yeah i mean thoughts on that yeah, I mean, uh, I think getting water from a spring, uh, a more depending on what your water source is at home, mm-hmm. you know, that's if if you're into that and you you mm-hmm. like to do that, I'm not gonna say don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just just for me, I I find that I don't know how much our system ended up costing, but it was it was not. I don't think it was over three three hundred dollars. Oh really? Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of markup when mm-hmm. you look at water purification systems but i essentially took um i essentially took a kit um online and like added added a filter to it and it it wasn't that (laughs) i added like the alkaline part to it but Uh it's not it's not it's not it's not overly complicated yeah like to install and to to pick it apart like i'm sure um you can talk to Darren Aline about that. I just talk to Par- Darren about I just, water. I, I just, I just let, I just let Parker put in the RO system. I didn't ask questions. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't recall it being a huge expense. I, 
That's interesting. I'm gonna look that. I thought they were a couple grand. I mean, they they because vary. people tend to use Berkeys. Oh, I just hear a lot of people using Berkeys instead because they don't want to pay a couple grand for. There's a huge markup for it too. Mm, I mean, somebody who's yeah. going to come in, it's it's literally I don't know what your your uh, depending on what your mechanical ability is <laughs> and how comfortable you are working with water, but yeah, for installing an RO, like you essentially turn off the cold side, <laughs> uh, splice into it, like and there's an adapter, like you don't have to cut anything. You just if you can unscrew a bottle cap from is this from on a, youtube from a soda i'm sure i'm sure you okay. can look it up well on maybe, YouTube. maybe this will give people ideas so okay water anything else big for people to know i would say if you know a farmer or somebody who owns a golf course tell them to talk to parker <laughs> to be honest that, that 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 would uh that would help that would help the movement um i think as as you explore and you dive into what soil biology is and, and how it all works, I think um, keep the perspective or, or consider that the resilience of an ecosystem is directly correlated to the biodiversity of that system. So the more biologically diverse a system is, whether it's whether it's soil or a larger ecosystem like a rainforest, you know, the more biodiversity you have, the more resilient that that population mm -hmm. is. Um, I think there's there's a lot of good stuff out there relating to uh, regenerative agriculture, composting. You know what you can do at home and compost your your green waste. Um, if you don't compost it, you can find somebody who does. Yeah. Um, well, I also think a lot of people, especially people listening to this podcast, are like into having their own garden. You know. Um, so that's something to think about too. It's very much like a mind demographic. They're into that kind of thing. Yeah. Live, live off the land <laughs> in your backyard, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the more you can grow at home, yeah. the better. Um, there we go. Well, any other final thoughts that you would like to leave people with? If I could leave, you know, the, the last message. Um, or the message I'd like to leave with, with you guys is that while many of the statistics are doom and gloom and a lot of the scenarios that we're facing, like with water and our food supply and, mm -hmm. and the climate change and, and everything, um, it's easy to get bogged down with the doom and gloom. And I totally empathize um, with you guys on that. But there's a lot of hope. You know, there's a lot that we can do. Um, there's a, there's from... <laughs> from a conversation with, with your loved ones, with your friends, with your family, you know, it starts, it's a grassroots endeavor, yeah. you know, solving these problems, you know, securing a healthier food supply, reversing climate change, yeah. or at least slowing it down. Um, you know, eating healthier, you know, the, the, the results of not trying are guaranteed. <laughs> so we, we have, we have, we, we have a few, we have a few there, we have a few things that we can do to, to contribute and support the movement. and. And would would love for everybody to chip in in their own way. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that is really important, right? Like to know, like there are solutions. There, there are solutions. I think that there have been. To be honest, before I started talking um, with you more about all of this and learning from you, just from what I was hearing, kind of in my own space from just that lens, I always felt like there weren't any solutions. You know, 
So I think that that's very important. So thank you for leaving us with that, that hope, that high frequency ending, you know, that high vibration. So if people want to learn more about what you do or get in touch with you, how, how can they do so? Well, you can reach out mm-hmm. on social media at PRM Soil Health. That's Papa Romeo Mike Soil Health for now. That's the handle. And your website? And my website is performanceresourcemanagement.com. I'll put the links in the show All notes. All spelled out. Are, are the before and afters of our lawn on there? On our website? Before on. and afters on, of our lawn are on the Instagram. Okay, yeah. So, you guys should see the before and afters of our lawn. The whole neighborhood wants, wants some of that transformation. Yeah, I'm, I'm the neighborhood consult, grass consultant yeah. for yards. He turned that around so quickly. We moved in and our lawn looked awful. And I told Parker, I was like, we need to be the best lawn in the neighborhood. <laughs> he delivered. <laughs> he delivered and now everyone wants some of it. Yeah. They want some of that. <laughs> so look you can check out the before and after um of our lawn if you want if you want all right well we'll put all those links in the show notes thank you for for coming today did you have fun thanks for having me it was a great time and um you know just to wrap up i know you're a big listener of my podcast so i i just want to ask on air do you have any favorite episodes oh man (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard, a hard question. Um, I do you listen to all my podcasts? All of them. I've I've listened to quite a few of them. Do you keep up to date when I'm driving? So I listen mm-hmm. most of the time when I'm driving. I haven't had a lot of road time lately. Okay. So I'm I'm a few back. But you do listen to my show. But I I do listen to your show. Do you have fun? Do you like it? I I enjoy it. I think you're, I think you're an awesome, I think your production is top notch. Why? Thank you. you. Thank you. Soulfire Productions (laughs) for for that. The recording, the quality, the delivery, the content, the interviewing skills, the whole deal. The intro. Did you listen to my (laughs) podcast before we went on a date? No, I didn't. When did you start listening to my podcast? How far into our dating? Uh, pro- it was it was after our first date. It was probably two or three days after our first date. <laughs> then you, then you dove in. Then I dove in. All got, right, got hooked. Now you're a subscriber. Well, thanks for your support. I appreciate it. Yeah, those <laughs> weekly downloads. Yeah, those weekly up, downloads. <laughs> pumping up those numbers. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, Parker. This was this was wonderful. We hope to have you back. Thanks. <laughs> Huge thank you to Parker for coming on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it, help us spread the word. And if you share it to social media, be sure to tag me, be sure to tag Parker at PRM Soil Health. That way we can repost you and say thank you. You can find more from Parker on Instagram at PRM Soil Health and on his website, performanceresourcemanagement.com. The links for that will be in the show notes below, as well as the links for Trevor's Trek. Also, definitely let Parker know if you want to have him back on the podcast. Maybe I can convince him to make another appearance. I think he would definitely respond to external pressure from 
you guys. So just putting that out there. All right, that's gonna be it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing this information with people you love and spreading the word. That'll be it for today, but I hope you have an incredible rest of your day and I will chat with you again next episode.